Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Ukraine indicted Burisma's owner, impeachment sham day 1035, a Reagan economist, Arthur Laffer, shut down at a University of America, the Trump tax battle, and if we have time to get to it, Jesse Smollett filed a lawsuit. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to this first five. There was a story that I read about this morning for the first time. It actually happened last Thursday, November 21st, which was in the country of Ukraine. The prosecutor, the prosecutor general's office in Ukraine announced a criminal indictment against the Burisma owner named by Nikolai Zloshevsky. And in this indictment, the Burisma owner is charged with the idea that the company was being used, Burisma was being used to funnel, to launder money. The, the indictment claims that Hunter Biden and his partners received $16.5 million for their services. And what they're talking about in this indictment is the basic idea that the um, Joe Biden's son, you know, Hunter Biden, was receiving payment for his services with money raised through criminal means and money laundering. Biden received money. Again, this is Hunter Biden that did not come from the company's successful operation, but rather from money stolen from its citizens. So this story appeared on you know, fairly obscure websites. I don't recall reading about it in the New York Times, Washington Post, any of the traditional media. And I just want you to think for a moment about three things. One is, just imagine if the country of Ukraine, the general prosecutor's office, I mean, the prosecutor general, announce an indictment of any of Do either Donald Trump's sons. Just imagine that if the Ukraine announced an indictment against any affiliate, uh, any coordinated entity related to President Trump's sons, either one of them, there would be headline and breathless reporting and hand wringing and tweet fests and Twitter mob hysteria, you know, saying, see, 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 look at this corruption. But this actually happened a week ago. So the first point is the idea that the entire media is silent is very, very troubling because this is goes back to Burisma, the very entity, second point now, the very entity that was at the heart of the demand by Joe Biden, then vice president, now presidential candidate, when he bragged at a national conference, bragged that he had arm twisted the Ukrainian government and that the Ukrainian government, he basically said to them, he, Biden, with, with, would withhold a billion dollars of U.S. aid unless Ukrainians fired a prosecutor looking into his son's company, Burisma. And Burisma, again, is now the subject of this indictment last week. And this is Biden in 2016 was trying to force the country to drop the investigation of Burisma and to fire the prosecutor involved. So we have, and my third point is a little bit unrelated, but this story is so interesting because we're going to uh, go next into the impeachment. I promise we will not talk impeachment 24-7 until it's over, but 
We're going to do it next segment briefly. But my last point in this first five today is this. I think that the willingness of the U.S. House of Representatives to go ahead with impeachment against President Trump based on the Ukraine, based on this allegedly based on this phone call between President Trump and Ukrainian President Zelensky is a signal that the powers that be in the Democrat National Committee, the Democrat Party, do not want Joe Biden to be their candidate. They think he will lose against President Trump. They see Joe Biden as, number one, a party fixated on race, color, ethnicity, national origin, never on ideas, always about skin color and superficial characteristics. They see Biden as a loser in their race-focused base, voting base, because he's an old white guy. And they think an old white guy is not going to cut it in this race, in this time in 2020. So they want Biden out. They want Biden out so they didn't really care whether this impeachment of President Trump was going to bring to the surface, as they had to know it would, bring to the surface all the corruption involving the Ukraine and Biden's son, Burisma. They would rather, you know, they're, they're gonna drive his campaign out of business, drive him out of business as a candidate, and they're worried about his mental clarity as he continues to make gaffes and make confusing statements and forget what state he's in and forget when things happen. He's not on top of his game. And if you had Joe Biden as a Democrat's candidate in 2020, and you had President Trump, who's seemingly always on his game, always on top of the situation, always, you know, for whatever else people say about him, he's always on top of what's happening. He's always willing to talk about it. He can get, gets right out there and challenges the attacks against him. I think that President Trump would make Joe Biden in a you know head-on com- competition in 2020, President Trump would make Joe Biden look doddering and confused and, and weak and tired and old and, and just not ready for the race. So that, my friends, is today's first five. This amazing announcement out of the Ukraine, no attention at all, was in part got no attention because this doesn't fit the Democrat media narrative that you've got to make sure and destroy President Trump because of his conduct related to the Ukraine. And that, my friends, is today's first five. So I want to turn to talking about the hearings and you know the, the impeachment hearings are slogging on. I always want to remind people, I'm calling this segment Impeachment Sham Day 1035. It's important to understand the effort to take down President Trump began when he won the presidency in November 2016, and most certainly in earnest when he was sworn in in January 2017. So the, the uh, 1,035 is the number of days that President Trump has been our president. And that's, this is actually how long the impeachment effort has been ongoing. But in particular today, when term was happening in Washington, I want to hit, um, I, I have some crips, clips with a very wonderful Matt, the producer, I want to ask him. Um, and I, I, again, I said this the other day, but I'll say, I send him clips really late, like I'm at my desk last minute at home deciding what to cover and get him clips that he always has them ready. I'm so grateful for that. So Matt, the wonderful. I want to actually play clip um, one. This is Devin Nunes' opening statement today. And I want to, it's a little bit long, and I cut it way back, but I want to hear what he's saying about how he sees this impeachment trial in the U.S. House, so this impeachment inquiry in the U.S. House. So this is Devin Nunes this morning in the U.S. House. I think the gentleman, as we learned last night, story time last night, we get story time first thing this morning. Ambassador Sondland, Welcome, glad you're here. I'm really not glad you're here, but 
Welcome to the fifth day of this circus. As I've noticed, noticed, noted before, the Democrats on this committee spent three years accusing President Trump of being a Russian agent. In March 2018, after a year-long investigation, Intelligence Committee Republicans issued a 240-page report describing in detail how the Russians meddled in the 2016 elections and making specific recommendations to improve our election security. Denouncing the report as a whitewash and accusing Republicans of subverting the investigation, the Democrats issued their own report, focusing on their now debunked conspiracy theory that the Trump campaign colluded with Russia to hack the elections. Notably, the Democrats vowed at the time to present a further, quote, comprehensive report, unquote, after they finished their investigation into Trump's treasonous collusion with Russia. For some completely inexplicable reason, after the implosion of their Russia hoax, the Democrats failed to issue that comprehensive report. We're still waiting. This episode shows how the Democrats have exploited the Intelligence Committee for political purposes for three years, culminating in these impeachment hearings and their mania to attack the president no conspiracy theory is too outlandish for the Democrats. You know, I got it. I love that. And he went on. I'll tell you one thing he did after he went on. And I just couldn't. That was long enough clip to play for you. But part of what he did in there, uh, he went forward and listed. This is, again, Devin Nunes in his opening statement today in the U.S. House and the impeachment inquiry listed a bunch of different things that the Democrats have claimed about President Trump. Just absurdity after absurdity, lie after lie, debunked, just just ridiculously proven to be uh, proven not just to be ridiculous, but false and absurd. So this is actually happening on national television, I have to say. I, not many people are watching. Yesterday we talked about about 4% of America is watching these impeachment hearings. But to the extent those who really care about America are tuned in, and maybe even people who kind of are on the side of the Democrats and kind of don't like President Trump, it's good for them to hear this. Because what Devin Nunes is laying out is exactly what has happened. There has been a, a, a driven, a determined effort in the American left, the Democrat media mob, to take out President Trump since the day he won. But I want to go on to some things that happened today. So the gentleman you saw, uh, Devin Nunes, was making his statement, and they went over and showed this uh, ambassador, Sondland, uh, who did testify today. Uh, Sondland is actually the U.S. Uh, ambassador to the EU. And so he, Sondland, um, was apparently the Democrats thought, I mean, obviously, to be clear, the Democrats are calling these people because they think somehow something they will say will hurt President Trump. They wouldn't be calling them. The Democrats are not seeking truth. They're not trying to find out what really happened or what's fair to claim, what's fair to accuse Trump of. They are looking for anything they can to destroy the president and take him out. So Sondland's there testifying today, and obviously Democrats had to get something good out of him. What actually happened instead was that Sondland testified about a conversation he had with President Trump. And so now turning to my point from the first five, that President Trump is always on his game, always on top of things, President Trump was watching the impeachment hearing of portions of it at the White House. And then President Trump's walking out of the White House today to get on Air Force One to fly down. He's coming to Texas today uh, because they're in Austin, Texas, because we're going to welcome a new Apple 
uh, facility, I believe, at what, that's why he's coming. So he, you know, as he often does, his best press conferences ever are walking from the White House over to catch, uh, I guess he catches Marine One, the helicopter, and then Air Force One. But in any case, he is walking out of the White House, and um, he often, as he does, President Trump stops and talks to reporters. So there was a clip of him talking to the reporters this morning, and this is um, clip three. Matt, the wonderful producer, if we could play this, of President Trump jubilantly reporting what Sondland testified this morning in the House impeachment inquiry. Here's President Trump. Uh, I'm gonna go very quickly, just a quick comment on what's going on in terms of testimony with Ambassador Sondland. And I just noticed one thing, and I would say that means it's all over. What do you want from Ukraine? He asks me, screaming, what do you want from Ukraine? I keep hearing all these different ideas and theories. This is Ambassador Sondland speaking to me. He just said, now he's talking about what my response. So he's going, what do you want? What do you want? I hear all these theories. What do you want? Right? And now here's my response that he gave. Just gave. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? I want nothing. That's what I want from Ukraine. That's what I said. I want nothing. I said it twice. So he goes, he asked me the question, what do you want? I keep hearing all these things. What do you want? He finally gets me. I don't know him very well. I have not spoken to him much. This is not a man I know well. Seems like a nice guy though. But here's my response. Now, if you weren't fake news, you'd cover it properly. I say to the ambassador in response, I want nothing, I want nothing, I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky, President Zelensky, to do the right thing. So here's my answer, I want nothing, I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. Tell Zelensky to do the right thing. Then he says, this is the final word from the president of the United States. I want nothing. That clip is why so many Americans appreciate and support and stand up for President Trump. He is being, or the Democrats are attempting, to railroad him, to frame him, to falsely accuse him, to use his word, to lynch him. The Democrats are going after President Trump, who has, and he knows he has done, nothing wrong. So he takes the opportunity when the press is all standing there and they want to yell questions at him and accusations, he takes the opportunity to point out to America, because many people cannot stand to tune into the impeachment inquiry, but they will listen to a press conference by President Trump. So to be clear what he's saying, Sondland, who was called because the Democrats thought he would help them in this impeachment inquiry, Sondland testified today that when he directly said to President Trump, what is it you want? What do you want from the Ukrainians? That Trump said, nothing. I don't want anything. I don't want a quid pro quo. So this is, and again, Sondland was really strong today. Sondland is just, you know, he doesn't have an ax to grind. In fact, one of the um, clips, I couldn't give you even the whole uh, press conference this morning from President Trump that you just saw a little segment there. 
But he even mentioned there, this guy Sondland wasn't even a Trump supporter in the primary. He said he supported other candidates in the past and then he finally got on board with us. So he doesn't even know Sondland. They don't have some personal longstanding relationship. Sondland is not like, you know, in Trump camp no matter what. But President Trump takes on the press, takes on the media, takes on the Democrats and talks to the American people. The same reason he uses Twitter is the same reason he does these fabulous press conferences walking out of the White House because the media is there. They don't ever, ever any longer have the opportunity like they used to to sit in that press room inside the White House and hassle the president to death or the uh, national spokesperson. So they get these opportunities as he's walking from the White House to Marine One. So that was that was one update from today's um, hearing. Uh, and so just to be clear now, Sondland is saying there was no quid pro quo. I asked Trump what he wanted. He said nothing. There also was testimony in this impeachment inquiry, uh, both involving former State Department Special Envoy to the Ukraine, Kurt Volker, another person the Democrats called, both in private testimony, then in public, thinking that they could somehow get something out of him to help him in their impeachment inquiry, claiming that President Trump uh, demanded a quid pro quo, or now the term they're trying to use is bribery, but they're basically just trying to use language in the Constitution. Volcker's testimony is that is correct. I was never involved in anything that I would consider to be bribery at all or extortion. He also asked, um, "Did because this was asked in the open hearing in the House, referring to his previous testimony that was closed, uh, and he was asked, Mr. Zeldin asked you in the deposition uh, that in no way, shape, or form in either readouts from the U.S. or Ukraine did you receive any indication whatsoever or anything that resembled a quid pro quo. Is that correct? Kurt Volker says, yes, that is correct. I was never involved in anything I consider bribery or extortion. Similarly, another witness the Democrats were counting on uh, is the former National Security Council staffer Tim Morrison, who also testified there's no bribery tied to military aid with the Ukraine, which is the entire basis for the Democrats' impeachment effort. One more thing happened this morning, or two more things I want to mention in the impeachment hearing uh, as we close out today's we must have at least, I guess, one segment dedicated to the impeachment as it rolls on. But you remember the name Vindman? We talked about him before. Member of the National Security Council, Ukrainian by birth, uh, speak, uh, speaks Ukraine, is an American. He served in the American military. Member of the National Security Council. He was the one who has already acknowledged that he didn't agree with President Trump's policy relating to the Ukraine, didn't agree with his policy, didn't like it very much. So he went around at the uh, president. He actually spoke to Ukrainian officials in his official capacity and basically said to them, you can ignore Rudy Giuliani, the president's counsel. You just don't pay attention to him because he is one of the deep state thinkers who thinks I'm a national security council. I run this country. I decide what is done. And I don't like the president's attitude toward the Ukraine. And I am the ruling class. I am the deep state. I will decide he doesn't get to decide foreign policy. This is the mindset, not just of Vindman, but numerous other people. I want to play one more clip I have, and this is uh, clip two. Uh, and this is Vindman testifying, uh, and there's two points I want to make about it, but these are in response to questions by Representative Devin Nunes, who is, of course, the Republican ranking member in that committee, Intelligence Committee, and the one who's opening statements every day. You should tune in for nothing else on the impeachment, if not Nunes's opening statements. This is clip two, Matt, and this this is again Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. Mr. Vindman, you testified in your deposition that you did not know the whistleblower. 
Uh, rank member, it's uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, please. Uh, Le Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, you testified in the deposition that you did not know the, who the whistleblower was. Or is. I do not know who the whistleblower is. That is. So how is it possible for you to name these people and then out the whistleblower? Per the advice of my counsel, I've, I've been advised not to answer specific questions about members of the intelligence community. This is. The, are you aware that this is the intelligence committee that's conducting an impeachment hearing? Of course I am. Wouldn't the appropriate place for you to come to to testify would be the intelligence committee about someone within the intelligence community? Ranking member, per the advice of my counsel and the instructions from the chairman, I've been advised not to provide any specifics on who I've spoken to with inside the intelligence community. Okay, first of all, I do respect the military and I am grateful for people who serve and I agree that people need to be referred to by the rank they have earned, generally speaking, in life. This guy, Vinman, has showed up in the Congress and he, I'm sorry to use this word, he has a prissy, arrogant attitude, a, a just holier than thou, self-righteous, smug attitude and I thought that was rather inappropriate for him to interject in the middle of a hearing uh, as lieutenant colonel, like correcting a member of Congress, a ranking member uh, of the House Intelligence Committee, tell him how you, ha you can only talk to me if you call me lieutenant colonel. But okay, so you know, maybe he's got a big thing about that, never wants to be recalled, Mr. Vindman. But the other thing he's pointing out is he will not answer the questions that the Republican members of the House are asking related to who he's talked to. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, it could not possibly be true that he does not know the identity of the whistleblower. Anyone who pays attention to politics in the entire world knows the identity, to American politics, knows the identity of the whistleblower. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans, probably hundreds of thousands, could name the whistleblower. I've named him on my show before. But for him to say that his attitude there, he doesn't even know who he is, I'm going to call hogwash on that. And second is the attitude that says he, Vindman, can refuse to answer questions of asked by the ranking member of the House Intelligence Committee in, in an impeachment proceeding that all is centered around the complaint by this whistleblower, this mysterious, but everyone knows who it is, whistleblower who had no knowledge of anything related to the relationship between Trump and Zelensky, or at least related to that phone call between Trump and Zelensky, the entire impeachment got kicked off by this whistleblower filing his whistleblower super secret statement, acknowledging I wasn't there, I didn't hear a thing, but uh, hearsay, I, I did hear that someone said that it wasn't the right, it wasn't conducted properly. Pretty much all the evidence that you're hearing in this impeachment inquiry is hearsay, secondhand, thirdhand. The two big problems of the testimony that the Democrats are presenting to America, one is simply that's hearsay. It is a, well, I, I don't know, but so-and-so said so, and I, I kind of think that happened on a really know because I didn't hear, so it's hearsay. And the second enormous problem is the National Security Council, the State Department, the U.S. government is filled with too many people who think they actually run this country. They decide foreign policy, not this president. He does not have the right to do that. So you hear in Vindman's testimony that we just played, you hear that attitude that says, I don't have to tell in a hearing designed to lead to an impeachment, a vote to impeach the president. 
I don't have to tell you who I talked to. Because, and he said, this chairman, he's talking about Schiff. Schiff told me, I don't have to tell you who I talked to. Schiff being in the middle of it all, having met with the whistleblower, the whistleblower having worked for Joe Biden, having worked with John Brennan, that whistleblower, all the conversations stirring up, concocting this impeachment inquiry, and this guy sits there, Vinman sits there in his, you know, how dare you disrespect me, you must call me Lieutenant Colonel, and, but I don't have to show you any respect, Devin Nunes, Congressman Nunes, I don't have to tell you the answers to the questions that really go to the core to prove the complete false, the hypocrisy of this entire impeachment inquiry. One last clip I want to play before we get done with the impeachment for today. And that is actually, and I didn't even check with Matt the Wonderful if he got this clip off of Twitter, but this was a really great moment in the hearing also. This is, again, uh, Democrat, the, uh, the uh, ranking member, Devin Nunes, ranking member from California of the House Intelligence Committee, and he's uh, going to be questioning. That is Sondland right there, who's the one who said, you know, that Trump said, no, 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 I don't want anything from the Ukraine. I don't want any quid pro quo. But this little exchange uh, that was captured in Twitter by somebody between Nunes and Sondland, I want to have you hear this. Uh, I want to get back to the facts of... The matter here and the thing that the democrats have been unwilling to accept is that their operatives got campaign dirt from ukrainians in the in the 2016 election now they know it they know it's true because we have financial records that show it so they were the democrats were heavily involved working with ukrainians to dirty up the trump campaign in 2016. So, Ambassador, I want to go through just a few of the incidents that we know. Uh, I know you may not know all about them. You may know about them now. Uh, but I want to walk through some of those examples of why the president may be very upset with Ukraine and think that, that they're a country that's out to get him, as I think both you've said that and Ambassador Volker have said that from that May 23rd meeting. Did you catch that last part? Two points from that, and then we'll close out the impeachment discussion for today. One point is Devin Nunes is saying, again, on open record, getting it in the record in the House proceedings, which then the Senate uses, and if it gets to a House impeachment vote, and it moves to the Senate for a, a, a trial and then possible removal, Devin Nunes is getting on the record Number one, everyone knows, including Adam Schiff and Nancy Pelosi and Jerry Nadler, all of these people, these Democrats in the U.S. House, they know that evidence exists. Everyone's seen it. It's not hidden that the Ukrainians were working with the Democrat National Committee, working with Hillary to undermine President Trump during the 2016 election cycle. This is, we've talked about this in the show before. We've talked about the meetings, the secret meetings they had in Washington. They were working with, they, the Ukrainian officials at the time, were working with the Hillary team, the Democrats, to undermine President Trump, or candidate Trump in 2016. What Nunes went on to do in that little link there is he, that we didn't, we cut it off too long, but he went on to list the examples of Ukrainian officials said this, they posted this, they wrote blog posts, they wrote, um, you know, letters to the editor in major newspapers in America to undermine candidate Trump. So everyone knows all this, and this is great that Nunes got that on record. Second point, in the, which is that Sondland was nodding along even when Nunes said that 
yes, you know, Ambassador Sondland, you ha have testified, as had Volcker testified, that Trump had every reason to believe the Ukrainians were working against him, were against him, which of course they were, that if, because Trump is aware of the evidence that's now coming to light for the rest of us to see. This is a great record being created in the U.S. House on this Intelligence Committee. Uh, and I actually want to make two last quick points in this, and then we'll move to our next topic. My two last points are this. Still, patriots in this country should not capitulate, should not surrender to the idea that a House vote to impeach the president is a sure thing. I think Nancy Pelosi is getting more and more nervous about what she has allowed to happen. Impeachment, as they say, is not playing well in Peoria. Impeachment is not playing well in Heartland America. And the more people pay attention to realize it was the Democrats all in bed with the Ukrainians and the Russians in 2016, and they're trying to use President Trump's relationship with the Ukraine and previously with Russia and the, the whole Mueller-Russia uh, collusion hoax. The Democrats look hypocritical, dishonest, nefarious, just plain slimy. And I know Nancy Pelosi, as I could not think of a single policy issue, which I agree with her, but she is an intelligent woman. She has survived in Washington for decades by being shrewd and political and discerning. She can see these impeachment hearings are going horribly for the Democrats. She can see that. My guess is she's trying to figure, is there a way for us to backpedal out of this some excuse, some basis to argue, well, maybe we'll just leave it up to the voters. But that leads me to my second point. The reason the Democrats, among all the other reasons I've laid out for you in numerous shows as we've been talking about the impeachment, the other reason the Democrats are just dead set in trying to move this impeachment forward is that they know perfectly well that President Trump will trounce the existing cast of characters, whoever emerges from the Democrat presidential primary as their candidate for president, President Trump will defeat any of them. They know his popularity. They see it with his voters. They see it when, you know, Joe Biden can't get 10 people to come and Trump can fill a stadium even in Democrat states, even in Democrat majority states. So they're very, very nervous. And this is a very dangerous time in this country. You know, I don't report on the impeachment with glee or with, um, you know, any sense of, uh, you know, just kind of in any superficial or, uh, it's, it's not a game. It's not a, it's, it's not a discussion to see who can win this political battle and can, you know, maybe Republicans can emerge from this one. This is a very serious time in our country because President Trump ran when he said draining the swamp. I don't think there were very many Americans who realized how deep and dangerous and shark-filled the swamp in Washington is. And Democrats, including Nancy Pelosi, figured out that when he talked about draining the swamp, he wasn't just talking about cutting back on the number of regulations emitting from every single agency in Washington and constantly strangling the American economy, American businesses. And he wasn't just talking about reducing spending. He was talking about pulling the roots out of the deep state's embedded power in Washington and having those roots exposed to the American people. This impeachment is exposing the Democrats and the deep state far more than it's hurting President Trump. 
Nancy Pelosi can see this. I think she's actually trying to think of a way to backpedal out of it. It may be too late, it may be impossible, but this is not going well for the Democrats. And now I want to turn, I have a few more stories I want to share today um, in this show, which always races by so quickly. This is just a story, you know, I do this show, America Can We Talk? If this is the first time you're listening or if this is the you know, thousandth time you're listening, I do this show to speak up for the unique, extraordinary greatness of this country. I think America is a gift from God, a gift the founders gave us of a country rooted and founded in liberty. One of the most basic liberties our country granted us in the founding, in the Bill of Rights in the Constitution, was the right of free speech. And there is, within America, in academia, was supposed to have been the the hotbed of the robust exchange of ideas, debating ideas, learning how America's identity and culture and history and how well, how we got to be America, how extraordinary America is. But because academia has been taken over by leftists pretty much across the board in this country with a very few stellar exceptions, academia has become a place that shuts down speech that will that not only do the institutions fill themselves with administrators and professors who are left-wingers, who are anti-American, who will not celebrate the goodness and the greatness, the unique greatness of America, but actually teach and, and send the message and try to spread to their students the idea that America actually has a really horrible history, a bad country, and we're, that we're an imperialist power, and we're an evil nation, we're a nation filled with racists and xenophobes and, and haters. And, I mean, it is, a, it is an anti-American mindset that, is, that pervades American college campuses, and on top of that, the idea of actual free speech and the robust exchange of ideas is not only not taught, but students feel emboldened to shut down anyone who dares to speak about topics or speak about subjects or raise viewpoints that they don't agree with. They think this is their right, living in America, to shut down speech of people whose views they disagree with. An amazing example happened just this past weekend. So. In the state of New York, there's a, they call it the SUNY system, state, state University of New York. There's a one particular one in Binghamton, New York. I grew up in upstate New York, and I, I will tell you that SUNY Binghamton used to be the one that people would say, well, of all these state universities, and they're all pretty radically leftist, but SUNY's kind of, Binghamton's kind of sane. It was, you know, maybe more in the middle, maybe not, maybe fairly conservative. But at SUNY Binghamton, Arthur Laffer, if you recognize that name, Arthur Laffer, he was the economist, a PhD economist, who approached President Reagan as he was to begin governing our country after the years of, uh, the dismal years, the years of miasma of our economy um, under Jimmy Carter. Laffer approached Ronald Reagan and said, you know what, I can prove statistically with graphs you can read and see that Actually, President Reagan, if you will reduce taxes, you will increase the revenue to the government. And at the time, that is now kind of like a, um, everyone knows this kind of proposition, people know this now, but it was really rather radical for Arthur Laffer to raise this point to make that argument to President Reagan. Now it is a, a well-known thing. So Laffer, his 
uh, charts he made to prove his point they call the Laffer curve. Laffer is L-A-F-F-E-R. So Arthur Laffer was invited by the College Republicans at SUNY Binghamton to give a talk essentially reintroducing the greatness and the goodness of free markets to pass along the ideas that actually freedom and free markets brings more abundance it produces more revenue for the government when you reduce tax rates. These are provable statistical things. He came to make that argument. So he's basically coming to stand up for capitalism, free enterprise, free enterprise, you know, the free market system. At SUNY Binghamton, he was booed, not just booed, the people who opposed him, surrounded where he was going to be speaking, had on masks like Antifa does, hides their face because they're ashamed of themselves, had masks, loudspeakers, and bellowed and bellowed and bellowed, interfered until the school had to shut down the event. Arthur Laffer did not get to speak. Now, if you actually have any idea as a student that you go to college to engage in the robust exchange of ideas, you ought to go to the lecture, hear what Arthur Laffer has to say, get in line to ask questions, have your, you know, whatever you want to say your question is or your point you want to make, engage in the exchange of ideas. But unfortunately for all of us, academia, college campuses, what young people consider to be their right to free speech when they think of free speech, they think, my right to shut down anyone I disagree with. And that's what happened at SUNY Binghamton. It actually, the protest got so violent, two students were arrested. I actually hope they're prosecuted, not just, you know, kind of scolded and slap on the wrist because it got violent. It got, I mean, it is so violent and so angry and so loud in this protest and yelling in the megaphones that they had to shut down the event. This is a dark, this is a black mark against SUNY Binghamton. It's a black mark against the American left who has spent decades telling young people that your right to free speech, your uh, arrogance about you, your embrace of leftism means you are allowed to shut down anyone who will not agree with your radically left views. Anyone who won't agree with you, you shut them down. And this is seen as a virtue by leftists in this country. One of the quick topic I want to hit today, you have likely been hearing that President Trump is engaged uh, in a battle over his tax returns. And I only, you know, is, is now going to the Supreme Court. I'm just going to hit two or three quick points about this to make sure we understand where we are. It's actually two cases, both making their way to the Supreme Court. One involves a criminal prosecution, uh, you know, probably cooked up hokey thing, but uh, a, a, the um, a court or a Manhattan grand jury um, is seeking a subpoena for copies of President Trump's financial records. So in Manhattan, you know, left wing Democratville, uh, a, a, a grand jury, which means it has to be to be in front of a grand jury. It has to be a leftist prosecutor finding some reason to argue that there a crime was committed and trying to get those tax returns viewed as evidence. And so a grand jury, in order to decide whether to issue an indictment, would have to look at the tax records. And so this is a Democrat prosecutor in New York cooking up a reason to force the disclosure of President Trump's tax records. That's one case, and so far, President Trump has lost that battle. The, the highest court said, yes, President, it, which is a, the Superior Court of New York, the highest court in New York, said, yes, President Trump has to produce his tax returns to this grand jury. Understand, 
releasing his tax returns to any entity, regardless of whether the grand jury and the district attorney doing the prosecuting promises and swears and, and you know, uh, affirms without doubt, there will absolutely be no release of these records. If you give them to us, we'll just use them for this indictment and we will keep them private. Once President Trump's and the, the uh, organizations that have control of his tax records release those records to any of these clowns, the entire country will have them. And President Trump knows this. His lawyers know this. So that's one case. Uh, the other is a demand by the House who are trying to subpoena the, the Democrat-controlled U.S. House, uh, trying to subpoena the president's financial records. Here are my quick three points. There is no obligation by any president to release their tax records. It is customary. Most presidential candidates and presidents have released their tax records in recent years. No federal law requires them to do that. Every candidate makes a choice. President Trump is making a choice, apparently, that he'd rather take the heat for not releasing his records than deal with the tumult the left would create if he did release his records. And this leads to my second point. Anyone with the wealth that President Trump has and the of necessity, their tax filings are complex. The complexity of the tax filings for anyone in the ballpark of the wealth of President Trump are going to include, those tax filings will include thousands and thousands and thousands of decisions, judgment calls, made by the tax preparers on estimated value, depreciation, uh, how to characterize a certain deduction. It is a playground for a critic of the president if these tax records get released, if these tax records are released, a playground for the left. They'll spend the yet the remaining year of his current term and the next four years if he's reelected in 2020 finding more and more items inside his tax records to challenge, you know, call a grand jury, should he be allowed as this, is this constitute tax fraud, is this count? And, you know, I think that most of us in America, we have relatively simple taxes and tax forms. We don't have a lot of money and we don't have a lot of complexity. So we think, well, you know, what could be in there? Let it out there, you know? I mean, if he didn't cheat, it won't matter. It's not true. It's not true when you have tax forms of the complexity that President Trump has. Tax preparers take, make decisions, which leads to my third point. Everyone knows, any tax lawyer would tell you, um, any uh, tax preparer would tell you that if you took someone of President Trump's wealth and financial complexity, you took their tax, uh, your tax records, you asked a tax preparer to do your uh, taxes, if you took all your records and information to 30 different tax preparers, you will get 30 different proposed tax filings. There are just endless decisions and judgments and, and applications of obscure regulations that you have to make of records of that kind. President Trump is deciding, you know what, he'll take the heat for not releasing his records because it's better than taking the heat of the battle he will face over those records over the rest of his life. And do understand, the left is so livid with him for winning the election and for actually executing on what he said he would do when he ran for president. They're livid. He's actually carrying out the things he said he would do that even if he didn't run in 2020 or didn't win in 2020, there will be leftists going after him the rest of his natural life over his tax records because they can, because they can find something to argue about. So. Do not, in concluding this last this segment, do not conclude just because President Trump is fighting 
producing his taxes that there's necessarily anything wrong in terms of criminal wrongdoing, that there's some big secret he's hiding, is more just the, uh, in my sense of it, the estimation, the realization, his lawyers get to the same conclusion I'm saying, so complex, you can't win every argument, the thousands and thousands of arguments the left would make on, on, on all the decisions you have to make in doing those kinds of filings. You can't win that battle. You're better off with just take the big battle and say no. Plus, I want the Supreme Court to say, in this case, that the president, there's no obligation. I want them to affirm for the American people, there's no obligation to produce your tax records just because you run for president. My friends, I mentioned earlier, I do this show, America Can We Talk. I do it you know, four days a week, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. I want to thank you for the amazing emails I get. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. I do have one more topic to hit about Jesse Smollett, but I first want to make this one point about this show. If you love this show, which I hope you do, I love hearing from you. I encourage you to email me, uh, to comment on uh, YouTube. I try to respond to comments if I can. Um, I also appreciate the comments on Facebook. If you're, if you're on Twitter, I'd so appreciate your following me. All that I do this show, the reason I do this show, the only reason is to stand up and speak up the extraordinary greatness of America, the most exceptional country ever to bless this earth. And I have never been paid a penny in my life for doing this show. I've been doing this show since, well, I did it on Salem Radio. I started in Salem in June of 2014. I've been doing this all this time, simply out of love of America. I want to stay on air. I want to stay and doing exactly what I'm doing four days a week on this podcast, speaking up for America. But in order to stay on air, I need your help. I actually need donations in order to stay on air and also to help grow this show. We could do a lot growing this show if we had means to use advertising and other marketing techniques that I simply cannot afford to do. So I would love and appreciate your support so much. I certainly want to stay on air all through 2020 and the 2020 election cycle, but even beyond that, I want to stay on air and continue to defend this precious, extraordinary country. So if you can donate to help me, I would so appreciate that. My website is americacanwetalk.org. Right on the homepage is a donate button. I appreciate the donations have come in. I, I, I mean, just about makes me tear, make a grown woman cry, it's so sweet. The notes I get and the, and the donations are beginning to come in. I need a lot more to keep this show on air. So I would so appreciate your support at americacanwetalk.org. Hit the donate button and help me keep this show on air. The best way is you can make a recurring donation. That would really help via credit card. But even a one-time donation of any amount will be used to spread this show, to spread this message that America is worth fighting for. Last topic for today, and that is about Jesse Smollett. You remember him? He was the actor. He is an African-American gay actor who staged a hoax attack on himself. He, in the dead of night in Chicago, claimed he was attacked by two attackers who, who were saying this is MAGA country, and he claimed they were making racial and homophobic slurs against him. And the police department, taking at face value what he said happened, launched an investigation. As it turned out, Jesse Smollett had paid two men, two brothers whom he knew, they were friends of his, they were working with him in the acting world, two brothers who actually were the ones who 
pretended to beat him up. The entire thing was a, was a hoax. It was a racial hoax perpetrated on the city of Chicago, on the police department, and on the American people. So the police searched and searched and searched to find these bad actors who had beat up this poor guy. As it turns out, Jesse Smollett set the whole thing up. And the two people he paid to do it, who are brothers and friends of his, uh, were friends of his, actually came forward and said, yeah, he paid us. They, had, they, they talked about it. He told them what to do. He paid them. Uh, they, have, they have confessed to the whole thing, and the two brothers. Who, who, and they actually had the receipt them going to buy the rope that was found around Smollett's neck. And the entire thing was cooked up. So what happened in that case was that after they realized that Smollett made the whole thing, made the whole thing up, uh, they decided to charge him with basically making a false statement to the police department. Smollett settled, uh, he agreed that he wouldn't be prosecuted. He paid a $10,000 bond uh, when he was charged with uh, making a, a false statements to the police. So he paid the $10,000 bond. Part of dropping the whole thing was that he didn't get his $10,000 back. So moving forward, the city of Chicago decided they were so irate about the lies Jesse Smollett told about the police department, the particular, I mean, he, the smear, the uh, slander, the defamation of the people of Chicago, of the police department, that they came after him under a law that permits the police to sue people who make false statements, to sue them to recover the costs of the investigation they made into the hoax allegation that the person you know, reported to the police. So in this case, the Chicago police are estimating they spent $130,000 of time, of officer time and expenditure chasing down Jesse Smollett's racial hoax. And so they're suing him for it. Jesse, Jesse Smollett's lawyers countersued now. So they're suing back the, the Chicago police and the reason I want to raise this story, that I'm not going to go into any small detail other than this. The statement put out by Justice Smollett's lawyers actually refers to, actually describes, actually attributes to Jesse Smollett that the two brothers, the, the, their last name is um, Osandario. They are Osandairo. They are uh, not American. They're, they're from Africa. I forgot which country, but they're African. And those brothers who told the whole story, Jesse paid us to beat him up, paid us $5,000 to beat him up to per perpetrate this hoax. In at where we are today, when everyone in the country knows and Chicago knows that Jesse Smollett made it up, Jesse Smollett's lawyers put a statement calling this confession by the two brothers a lie and saying Jesse Smollett stands by his story, his racial hoax story. He claims it actually really happened and he is disappointed in the police department because they stopped investigating this attack on him. The audacity of the American left, the relentless of this leftist mindset, I'm telling you what's going through Smollett's head, is this. Smollett is thinking, hey, okay, so it didn't happen, so what? You know, it could have happened, it probably has happened, and I'm justified in bringing this to the American public's attention, and the fact that I lied makes no difference at all. That's what Jesse Smollett is saying. And now, my friends, I want to turn to telling you, as I do at the end of every show, I tell you again why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So, on our first story for today, the Ukraine indicts Burisma owner. Schiff and the Democrats have no idea what they've opened up. And I did ask, 
or did they? Are they trying to get rid of, of uh, Biden? Ukraine prosecutor filed charges November 14th against Burisma owner Nikolai Zloshevsky, claiming legal sums paid to Hunter Biden, money raised through criminal means and money laundering. Ukraine case screams Democrat Biden corruption. And yet the Democrats want to say that Trump's desire to expose it, which is what Trump was trying to get to, all the corruption in the Ukraine, that justifies Trump's impeachment. The Democrat impeachment circus isn't playing well in Peoria or anywhere else in America. Will the House back off? I'm going to tell you, I don't bet. If I'm a betting woman, I think they're thinking about it. Okay, this impeachment sham day 1035. Schiff is making himself into a historical figure, but for all the wrong reasons. No witness can name a crime. Most witnesses are hearsay. Direct witnesses offer testimony exculpatory of President Trump. Deep state more and more exposed as arrogant usurpers of presidential prerogatives. And now the Ukraine is prosecuting Burisma with full exposure of Hunter Biden's corruption. Americans should pressure the Democrat House members to call off this sham. The Reagan economist Arthur Laffer shut down. Dr. Arthur Laffer is the father of the Laffer curve, which is reduction in tax rates equals increases in tax revenues. President Reagan embraced it and it restored the 1980s economy. Young America's Foundation, which is conservative, sponsored Laffer's speech at SUNY Binghamton. Hundreds of mass protesters shouted down Laffer and shut down the event. And just think about this, people. Masked protesters for an economist. It looks like a paid protest. Who and why? Americans must see the reality of and resist this attack from within. American students have been radicalized against free enterprise. And on Trump's tax return battle, don't assume there's anything wrong. Remember the age-old story, 30 preparers, 30 different returns. This is just one more path the Democrats seek to create an impeachment hoax. It is a playground for lawyers to argue about propriety of deductions, evaluations, and thousands of necessary decisions, judgment calls, in complex tax filings. Nobody should have to make his or her tax returns public. If Trump won't volunteer, the voters can decide whether they care. And last on Jesse Smollett, Smollett is suing Chicago for malicious prosecution. That's what he's calling it. In the face of overwhelming evidence of his orchestrated fraud on the city, state, the police, and the country, he is still denying that he orchestrated this hoax. Sounds like it could have been happened. It sounds like, it's what I'm putting it, is saying it sounds like, it could have happened in America today, so it doesn't matter if I made it up. That's what it sounds like Smollett is thinking. Painting and claiming America is racist justifies lying about what happened when brazen lying knows no bounds and lawyers join in and judges permit it. This is a serious threat to a rule of law and to American society. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thank you so much for listening. I'll talk to you next time. And every time we talk, I'll always be speaking up for the extraordinary greatness that is America because America matters. Talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk? Truth about America. Can